0: Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Some of Wales's town centres are in decline. They face complex challenges which are sometimes unique to specific places. That was one of the introductory lines to the Welsh Government's latest town centre position statement. Regeneration has been a major part of the Welsh Government's remit throughout devolution, a seemingly never-ending cycle of policies, action plans and strategies. Joining us tonight to reflect on all things regeneration, and in particular last week's statement, are Owen Davis, a Regeneration Consultant, founder of Owen Davis Consulting and Abergavenny co-working site Guago. Owen is also an expert of the High Street Task Force. Hello, Owen. Hi there. Uh, We also have Victoria Mann, CEO at Near Me Now, a sector-leading innovator in digital destinations and smart town ecosystems, and a Business Council member at the Cardiff Capital Region. Hello, Victoria.
1: Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure. Um, So, For the uninitiated, we've got, you know, Kerry of of this parish as well is a big, big regeneration geek. But for those who are not so familiar, uh, what do we mean when we say regeneration? Uh, Victoria, do you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, for, for me, our work within towns has allowed us to really get to the heart of, you know, what regeneration means to us. At the heart of everything for us, it's about the people. People make places, essentially, and the relationships that exist within those places and um, whilst you know there's infrastructure and um, politics and all things in between that come into that all of those different players those actors or stakeholders within a place contribute to the regeneration and ensuring that all of those assets local assets local people all working towards the same goal if you like is is our definition of regeneration
2: I agree everything with Victoria said I think I think having been in the the world of regeneration for nearly 30 years, I kind of I think there's worth distinguishing between what regeneration is and what I would see as economic development. So I see regeneration is that we're trying to work with places that have something that's not working well. There's a kind of a point of failure, you know, and normally that's to do a kind of property market failure. Things that everybody kind of comments on, like vacancy rates, poor quality offer, you know prevalence of charity shops or those kind of key indicators that people see on their high streets so that would kind of be seen as something that's not working well a kind of a, a failure you know increased competition from out of town and the like and I, I know it's just worth mentioning whereas I kind of see economic differences in distinct difference to that is where you kind of have something that's going well and you want to kind of advance it much further but I kind of see in terms of town regeneration it's, we're dealing with places that have something that's not working quite right at the moment and I think that's really important.
0: Where are we in Wales with such regeneration schemes, Owen? You know, we seem to have a long history of this, don't we? Whether that's Cardiff Bay, SA1, real seafront. We do seem to have quite a lot of development going on at times. But how much much impact is that making in terms of real regeneration and economic development?
2: As a university student of the 90s, and I, I kind of thought then that Wales had kind of invented regeneration. We were kind of leading experts in our field, you know, back in the the days, some might say, good old days when we had the WDA and, and the like, and we were seen as kind of a, a market leader in the UK, even in Europe, in terms of how we approached regeneration. I think we've kind of got a really long track record of it in Wales and a fairly mature understanding of what it means and how we go about it. I think we're very good, as you you may have heard me say recently, that at kind of writing the policies and the strategies that back that up. But we, I mean, since devolution, I would say the challenge around delivery, has become probably stronger because, of course, we don't have quite as much resource to draw on and, and maybe don't necessarily have the legislative influence to kind of change things in the way that we might want, want to do that. But, you know, we, we can look at Cardiff Bay. We can look at, you know, Newport was once a kind of regeneration zone when it was owned regeneration agency. We still have enterprise zones in Wales, although they probably lack the teeth that you see in England, but our t- towns program has been a kind of c- like a consistent thread. I think that's run through that. So, I mean, Kerry, we might remember all the different titles, but we've we're now in transforming towns. You know, we've, we've had various reiterations of towns focused regeneration in Wales for 20, 30 years. And uh, I mean, that's good. I kind of think, you know, we need to see each time we re creates that programme is what differences are they really driving forward? You know, what's the innovation? What's the new policy drivers that sit behind that? So that's kind of my broad view on that, really.
1: Yeah, um, everything that Owen said, um, we're very good at writing a lot of strategies. And, and even with the the, the 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 statement that came out this week, it feels as though what we're doing there is re-establishing something that might have been said in the past, Um, you know, town centre first policy. And we're looking at reaffirming that. And if that's, you know, what this is a, aimed at doing, then that's fantastic. That's exactly what we need. And whether or not that's reaffirming it in order to say maybe we haven't do, been doing it as well as we could have been, then fantastic. But they, like Owen said, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of policies, a lot of strategies, statements, and we do seem to be in that constant cycle of... Regeneration, and I know there's been discussion around infrastructure as well, so like the the Wales Infrastructure Investment Strategy, which lends itself to, like Owen said, I mentioned regeneration. For me personally, is about places and people. Infrastructure is a key part of that, absolutely, and I see that sitting with public sector with policymakers. But regeneration often comes from the heart of the community and the people that are there. So there are two parts to this. If we're continuously talking about um, what the aims of these sort of region is and what the strategies in place are, then great. But I think we need to start putting these things into action because there's been a lot of discussions. Some of the, the things coming through from the FSB report, even back to 2018, where they were looking at, you know, the six Cs, cohesion, culture and civic. And there's another three as well, connectivity, college, commercial and culture they were, you know, I would add to that and probably put construction in because Owen's just said infrastructure is part of region as well. And, yeah, I see that sitting with policymakers. There's a lot of talk, but actually the action is based on the ground with the people who are implementing, and policy should support that, putting that into practice now with the teams of people, volunteers often, um, and the public sector people that are closer to the ground to implement and I'm not seeing enough of that joint up approach. So, yeah, time to um, look at the strategies and start implementing them on the ground.
3: Uh, and you've just summed up an awful lot of my career in regeneration there, Victoria. <laughs> we do a lot of strategy. We do do a lot of delivery, but uh, I think a lot of people would agree with that. We, we need to do more rather than just talk about it. And just as a geek, Owen, you mentioned about we seem to always do regeneration. And then... One of the pieces of work I once did—the first example of regeneration I could find in Wales was in Merthyr in 1790, believe it or not. So we have a long history of regeneration
0: in Wales. Was but that you personally, Kerry? It was. It was <laughs> an earlier
3: job, Matt. Yeah.
0: Oh, you youngsters. <laughs> um, okay. We seem to produce
3: a lot of those documents. Victoria, as you just mentioned, and last week's ni- announcement is the latest in a long line of those well meaning documents. I'm not sure if you're familiar enough with it yet to to tell us the main points that came out of that. Have you and have you or Owen looked at it in enough detail to pull those out?
2: Well I I have. It's kind of something I've been doing today because I'm I'm kind of re- helping to regenerate some towns in Midwell, some that are very close to you, uh, Kerry Talgarth, I'm going to start working in fairly soon. So um I'm sure you'll be able to give me some amazing insights too. So that well, um, tiny town. For, any, so...
3: for anyone local in Tarleton, we'll ask you what is going to happen to the Mid Wales Asylum, which has been derelict for the best part of 25 years. And it's a fantastic building. We can talk yeah. about this off air. No,
2: maybe. I know, I know. I've got my big boots on ready for tomorrow, so I'm going to be chancing around that area. I've been already told I need to prepare myself for that. But, um, I, I, yeah, I, I was looking at it today, actually. I had to do this for, for the kind of the day job. But um, what I've, we've done um, from our, our project point of view is we kind of pulled out from the policy statement what we think are like the research questions that we need to ask ourselves when we're looking at towns. So things like that's fairly clear kind of observations in the policy statement about what's happened with the shift with of things out of town. Now, we all know of out of town retail developments, don't we? They've been around for 20 years and policies policy's gradually been tightening up on that. But it's kind of to what extent of kind of civic and service functions relocated. So I'm really interested because I've seen this in a number of places where we're working, where you can see that kind of urgency to kind of preserve your library, for example, has meant that it's kind of had to be relocated to another building, which is usually where there's kind of a day-to-day use and a kind of a way of sustaining it. And they can, in most cases, be like schools and stuff. So we can see that happening. Now, that's a real big policy challenge and a, and a financial challenge for local authorities, isn't it? About keeping a service, but maybe it has to move out of town. So I kind of see Welsh Government kind of pointing the finger here and saying, is this the right thing that's happening? But you know, is there the money there to back this up, to kind of say, look, if you make a positive decision around keeping your services in town centres, can we give you an extra premium to maintain that service there, you know, or or is it about, you know, needs must and the like? So we can see some of that. I also find it quite interesting that they refer to some that I'm quite fond of, fond of as an issue is this idea around property issues that, you know, our town centres, I, I always say, you know, most cases almost all cases, the public sector don't own the town. The town is actually owned by a fragmented array of private individuals who own individual properties and buildings. And and in most cases, they are local, kind of grounded individuals, have a real vested interest in the future prosperity of their town. But we also know that there can be, in some cases, really problem properties, maybe large number of them, where their absentee landlords, you know, don't have their roots in the ground and really don't see. Uh, we don't see them involved in in regeneration. So Welsh Government kind of flagged that up, which I think is fairly useful. There's a lot of stuff there that I think we probably all kind of buy into around people and movement, around the accessibility of our towns. You know, people can get to towns easily if they can walk and cycle. Then these are great advantages for town centres. But what was quite interesting, another kind of policy kind of driver behind that was this kind of reinvention of kind of regional transport planning, which we kind of had... Uh, in Wales really maturely for a while and it kind of sort of of, of, uh, lost its kind of focus and I I can see some of that coming back. And then there's a really interesting thing in there about climate and natural emergency. So there's a really clear statement in there about, is your town centre at risk of flooding? Have you got sufficient flood defences to enable the town to grow and develop? I'm sure there's gonna be some fairly interesting conversations around places that have been calling for fairly expensive flood defence schemes over many years that haven't had them, and they'll be making the regeneration case, well, we need this for our future of our high streets. So I think that's going to be quite interesting as well. And then something that Victoria's mentioned, which I think is absolutely key and critical to this, the local capacity to deliver. They make a really clear statement, don't they, about who's involved, how well is it going, and is there a need for a stronger partnership? And we all know that that is absolutely key to how town centres grow and develop. So those are kind of the key areas that I saw jumping out at me from the policy statement, which I can't argue with, but I kind of think they could have gone a lot further. And I don't know if you want to talk about the gaps now, but maybe we can come on to that in the future. But I kind of think there's some really obvious things that could have been in there that aren't at the moment. I will come back to the gaps, but... Victoria, I think
3: Owen did a really good summary for us there. It shows he definitely is reading what Wells Government are putting out. (laughs) Was there anything in particular which stood out for you from what was put out last week?
1: Yeah, um, I'm sort of going to reiterate some of the stuff that Owen said, but I'll add a little bit of a, a different slant on that. So in terms of the out of town retail centres. Um I, I, Owen used the phrase a little bit of finger pointing. Um, and they talk a little bit about private sector looking at the areas that are more commercially viable for them. Um, I think there should be a shared responsibility here because they wouldn't be placed out of town if there wasn't, you know, if planning didn't allow for that. We are where we are. Um, and I think there needs to be a collaborative approach to kind of going, okay, that might not have worked. It is it probably isn't the best policy for our town centres but certainly no finger-pointing as to, you know, why they that this has evolved over a period of time and that they put in the right things in place to reaffirm, and that was one of the biggest things I mentioned earlier, reaffirming that town centre first policy. And there's a couple of examples that I've witnessed over the last couple of years post-pandemic where they could have placed something in the centre of town where it hasn't been placed and have been party to some of those discussions as to the three options that are available and it was in a town centre when it was chosen. That was actually a Welsh government building as well. So I'm looking at that going, OK, is this them taking it, you know, reflecting on their own activity, which is great. Every, you know, sometimes it's about sticking your hand up and saying maybe we weren't we weren't doing this to the best of our ability. And good on them for reaffirming that. Um, So that message is then delivered to, to everyone within planning and within those institutions to make sure that it's, you know, delivered in our way. So a reaffirmation is is very welcomed. And then the gaps in delivery. This is something very close to my heart. I think there is a gap in hole in some of the stakeholders that were listed there. There is a big gap if we look at the delivery partners within towns and who they actually are. The people who are closest to the businesses. So I always look at public sector down to say your economic team within a local council. They're responsible for multiple towns. It's those people that have got boots on the ground that understand each individual business that are active within a town, and they can be varied. They can be a local business improvement district. They can be a chamber of trade, town councillor, a mayor in some places. Um, But in some towns, they are just enthusiastic local business people who have got a lot of respect from the other business owners, and they tend to drive a lot of that local activity and delivery of events, um, things that really drive footfall to the area, local initiatives, whether they're festivals, whether they're local markets. And what we're seeing is that our collaboration on the ground isn't always happening in the best way that it could. I'd like to see that group of people that we refer to as town stakeholders represented and, and some sort of support um, for them. So they weren't listed as part of the the stakeholders within that that project and I think there's this big gap between public sector then and the business owners and they, it's filled by people and that needs to be recognised and the part that they play on their high streets. So delivery of some of these things, making sure that they're implemented and make, as I said earlier and it's throughout everything I say, it's the people that make the places and whilst all of these in- infrastructure discussions are fantastic Buildings alone won't cut it. It has to be about place and about people and the offering there in that destination so that we can say, you know, where are you going on your holidays? I'm going to the Lake District and going to the the Cotswolds or I'm going to the South Wales Valleys. We need this to be destination valleys, destination Wales. Buildings alone won't create that. We need to make sure that we empower local people to really help regenerate and and create that sense of place that will make people want to come.
3: Well, I can highly recommend a 10-year-old Welsh Government strategy called Vibrant and Viable Places, Victoria, because that's exactly what we try to do with that strategy. And you're more than welcome to have finger-pointing tonight because having worked in this area, having Welsh Government put out-of-town developments in Landidno Junction, Merthyr and Aberystwyth, the frustration by officials in Welsh Government at our own actions was was large and i think that was still going on relatively recently with i think it was qualification wales has gone out of town in newport and it's just it's just so frustrating Oh, you mentioned you had gaps as well do you want to feed those in
2: I mention these because I know, one, I think we're doing really well at them in Wales, but two, that officials have actually been thinking about it as well. So I'd like to see progress. So something that's very close to Victoria's heart and and also an area that we've been doing a lot of work in recently is is the whole Smart Times agenda. Without getting into the the kind of baffling world of technology, I kind of think, you know, there is an area that Wales is leading on in terms of kind of developing a knowledge base, building awareness, knowing that this is kind of future proofing our town centres and our communities, which is about how digital and data can be a real kind of advantage and leverage for us. So Wales has been doing this for a couple of years in terms of the Smart Towns Cymru programme, and I'd like to have seen mention of that in this it doesn't get a mention at all and I kind of think that's a that's a missed opportunity even if it's just to fly the flag and say look what we're doing in Wales and I know the whole visitor app that Victoria's closely involved in is absolutely at the centre of that kind of world that we're trying to create so I I, I that was probably the first thing I go oh where is it have I missed it I had to go back through and read it again and then we do have to kind of take some kind of fairly innovative kind of groundbreaking approaches to delivery in, you know we would need to do in, in some places we need to regenerate at scale and that means doing things that we know have been done in Wales before and are being done elsewhere in the UK which is around you know some it might sound fairly mechanical but can we compulsory purchase areas that are failing to really take to get the public sector and the community driving forward change in that area do we kind of create regeneration agencies in our towns that can kind of be the kind of that very commercially minded but very community grounded agencies for change in our town. So I kind of think there's something in Wales that we can do that feels very Welsh, the way that we want to do it in Wales. You know, in a way, you know, I'm going to get slightly historical about this, but you know, if we think about what happened back in the in the, in the industrial age of Wales, you know, it was it was the it was the community and and the coal miners and and the coal uh, owners that invested in libraries, invested in schools, invested in community facilities, and drove growth and development in their towns. You know, we have a spirit to that in Wales. Why can't we be creating agencies that have a real commercial focus, but community-minded in Wales, in our town centres? I think there's something there that we could be starting to think about in Wales as well. And uh, yeah, so I'd like to see something there, even if it's to say we would like to move in this direction and we're going to try and see how we do this without necessarily defining how we're going to do it yet, but I'd like to see some movement on that, I think. I think Wales invented regeneration and we should be at the forefront of innovation in that field. For a small nation, we can do big things,
0: I think. So we talked a little bit about the impact that out-of-town shopping's had on uh, retail and local economies, but I think one of the biggest changes we've seen in the last you know, 20 years or so is the development of e-commerce and the ease that people find when you know shopping on Amazon or even on online versions of previously high street stores. So how would you say that the Welsh high street, the Welsh town, has dealt and adapted to the proliferation of online options? And how do you tackle that if you if you do think that it is a, a massive drain on on town centres and high streets? Owen, I think Victoria is
2: probably much more rooted in this. I think, but but I kind I give you my perspective. I I think it it has you know it there are winners and losers, aren't there? And I and I kind of think the big retail brands have kind of had to retrench from lots of town centres, because they're kind of selling online, but they need to be present on the high street. So they're doing that in big regional centres and city centres. So we're kind of seeing the loss of those businesses from you know, smaller regional towns. And, and in, in the final analysis, we probably think that's a good thing, but we're still dealing with the kind of the vacancy. I think in terms of what that means for small independent local businesses is that, you know, we know that the best businesses on our high street are selling online and also to customers on the street. And and we should see our small independent businesses having global reach selling and trading with you know potential across the UK and, and the world, as well as selling to, to customers from their own town. So it's an opportunity. And, and we know that there's that skills gap, confidence gap that exists in terms of where our businesses and their digital skills are as well. But there are really good examples of businesses that have kind of gone from kind of the bricks and mortar to clicks and really trading phenomenally well with that. And, and, and we know that COVID had a kind of a, a an accelerating effect on some businesses, but not all. And I think that's the bit, what we don't want to do is see some businesses left behind just because they don't quite have the right skills and confidence in that. What it also means is that we might see our, our town centres looking slightly different, or we might have to try and resolve some of these things. So we might have a business that has a smaller kind of floor plate for selling stuff on the street but they actually need a lot more back office for storage and distribution. They might even need better access for vehicles and deliveries to come in and out of the town to pick up goods, to distribute them across the country or even across the world. So I kind of think these, it's gonna kind of be a physical kind of challenge and change with that, particularly with our kind of traditional high streets and you know where sometimes access to the town centers isn't that great. So I kind of think it's an opportunity. We have to accept it. It's here and now it's not gonna go away and it's not all bad news. It's just that we need to really work in the areas where it maximizes the advantages for our independent businesses, I think.
1: Yeah, everything Owen said, um, and and a little bit more from our perspective as well. Whilst you've got businesses that we encourage to trade both in bricks and mortar and online, um, my argument there would be, you know, if if, if there is no incentive for them to have a bricks and mortar business, um, then you know, with what's stopping them from then trading from a local industrial estate and actually, uh, you know, managing their logistics, maybe more effectively. Um, there are some great examples of some blended approaches to that. um up in Tjorki, um Andrew Berry up in um, Astrid Menach as well, who's a, a, a jeweler and he's got his own YouTube channel as well. Now, from the research that we did with, um, as part of our Welsh Government project, we were looking at this as a, as a particular challenge, if you like, for high streets and how High streets themselves are digitally marketed. And from what we experienced, only around about 20% of businesses on a high street actually want to um, actually have products that they can actually trade online. So if you go into a small homeware store, um, if you go into a local pharmacy, um, if you go into a local giftway shop, their products are so, they have such an array of products that are actually managing those and having some sort of the electronic inventory for them to be able to manage all of that is really beyond the digital needs that they actually have. So there's a balance between having a bricks and mortar business, being able to have a lot of products that make it interesting for people to come in and products that people want and having the staff and the resources to manage that. So I always equate it to, you know, you're not going to expect your Green grocer to put a barcode on all of his tomatoes, for example. And one pharmacy that we were working with, when we talked to them about electronic inventories, they kind of said, take a look around. There was a, an array of different gifts there in readiness for Christmas. And they said to get a member of staff to go around and actually manage these stock levels so that we can trade online as well would be a huge challenge. And then you've got the likes of um, Seren Vach, an amazing gift store um, for babies within Turkey, all locally produced. You know, they're promoted locally. They've got a great online presence. And when we talk to them about their uh, electronic needs and e-commerce needs, because of the tailor-made approach and the bespoke element to their products, they really wanted that personal relationship with their customers as well, that e-commerce alone often can't deliver. And local florists are telling us the same. So we understand naturally, as everyone here does, that the destination and a place isn't just about the retail element. And if we focus too much on e-commerce, it can be a little bit about that. E-commerce will also encourage those small businesses to stand on their own. work in silos someone sitting at home on a sofa visiting one e-commerce platform so if we are going down the route of e-commerce for a destination you need to be able to shop your entire town in one basket and that that's part of what we've been working towards there as well and another thing that came out of the the discussions and our research was you know taking a look at some of these big players naturally google if you want to search for something you search for flowers in chalky and naturally Interflora is the one that sort of comes top of that that search. We accept that. We accept that our search engines are promoting our destinations and what's available and selling that spot at the top to the highest bidder. We also accept that each individual business has a Facebook page. A lot of us know that all of that content, or 95% of it is lost to the ether and people don't see it. Yet we're asking these small businesses to create all of this content that is then lost as well. So there needs to be a different approach to digital. E-commerce is just one feature. Um, it needs to be as a destination so that you know you, your local click and collect, your local delivery, um, that infrastructure needs to be put in place and could be a huge draw then for people to who work away maybe in the city, in Cardiff, and then are coming home and they can pick things up from a local click and collect. Really support their small businesses that are local or you know in, in terms of um, isolation people who haven't got that level of mobility to reach their high street they need to be able to know that they can shop their high street support local and have that delivered to them as well but I really want to see a move to destination selling and, and promotion of other businesses with services retail businesses that don't have a need for e-commerce and for that e-commerce to slip in as a feature rather than actually be the main draw for that as well
0: Owen, I'm intrigued on your thoughts on on how we square the circle between the sort of direction of travel we've got at the minute with town centre planning, which tends to be get the cars out of them, more active travel, more pedestrianisation. How do we square the circle with making places pleasant to be, but also have it so that the the businesses that are there presently can trade and, you know, the the infrastructure surrounding them that enables them to be thriving businesses? I think it's a point of tension in most small towns. You know, if you're Cardiff, Newport,
2: Combran, Exumon, and like you know you can kind of call the shots if you're a big business kind of say you know in terms of where you are on the kind of the delivery pickup kind of um schedule you can probably do that really effectively That smaller towns can't really call quite the same shots so we also got attention if you kind of want to kind of minimize vehicles large, and we're talking about goods deliveries aren't we rather than through traffic but um if you want to minimize those in your town centers you know there's a practical reaction, a reality to this. Uh, you know, some businesses need to get things distributed and that delivery might be at 12 o'clock. So it is because, you know, we've got historic towns not really fit for purpose in terms of the way that transport and distribution works these days. So, yeah, each town, we need to kind of design their own solutions, you know. Been doing some work in Built Wells recently. Kerry, you'll know it very well. I actually, remarkable town holding up really, really well. I had the most awful experience with the amount of traffic that went through the town centre. I mean the air quality was really quite noticeable uh, but at the same time you look at the shops and you go I want to spend time here there's some really nice things to do here but the traffic going through and that's just the reality of the way that built Wells is is you know you know the solutions to that are enormously expensive but there must there's ways of mitigating that to be resolved I think but just use that as one example you know.
0: I want also to also talk just a bit, a bit about the brass tax at all really so one of the best tools available to local government, to Welsh government, is sort of the work, the work they do with rates and non-domestic rates, making it so that the businesses are, you know, viable, don't have to, you know, the businesses that aren't making money don't have to also pay this huge burden in non-domestic rates. Do you think that Wales is adequately using all the sort of fiscal and financial levers we have available to us to support businesses and to town centres? And do you think there's more that could be done? Victoria, so you're, you're shaking your head, so I'm <laughs> going to go straight to you.
1: Yeah, um, these haven't been reviewed properly since before the advent of e-commerce, and you know why? Why should the online giants actually benefit when our small businesses are actually contributing to society a lot more by being the beating heart of communities? So I would like to see that. What what the answer is to that? Um, I don't know. When you say you know what levels they can actually pull there needs to be a consideration of of rates of those online businesses and online trading, Um, and whilst they're fantastic for the economy, you know, the consideration of the the detriment of our our places should be considered there as well.
0: Oh, and we've seen a lot recently from the Welsh Government talking about potentially in the future moving away from using council tax and non-domestic rates, but moving to a system of land value tax. What kind of impact do you think that would have on, on businesses? Are, are businesses right to be a bit jeopardatious about this change or do you think it may eventually benefit? I think businesses will be
2: cautious about change, but I think I think there's probably a consensus amongst businesses and politicians that the current system isn't fit for purpose either. I think it's a little bit like the experience we had with changing um, from uh, household rates to council tax, which had the poll tax in between. There's going to be a real kind of tension around change because there's going to be winners and losers and it will be based on kind of some sort of sense of revaluation of what our commercial property in our town centres offer i've kind of been witness to conversations that the atcm have been um developing ideas that they're pitching to uk government on this and and they're also kind of saying blimey you know this is really hard you know whatever solution we devise is going to going to be really challenging to to get political buy-in and for." The business and private sector to buy into so i think that's why we've had inertia on business rates because everyone agrees it's rubbish but the alternative is going to be really difficult to deliver um we need to capture um the online spend element of business growth and investment so how do we do that and is it based on some kind of trading turnover performance based i kind of think there is an incentive in any kind of taxation system if it's based on sales and performance as opposed to what the building is around you and how much that might be worth because we know that has bears no relationship to the pnl of any business on the high street so i think it's it's one that really does need probably and we know and didn't we we had a review of business rates in wales done by a range of experts five six years ago maybe but we're now going to we're just going through another consultation in wales on business rates i'd like you know i think we need to put some ideas out there to test and challenge don't we you know for them to be scrutinized and then for people to come up with alternatives at the moment there is no kind of alternative being put out there to kind of say this is what it might look like what do you think
0: so you're sort of touching on it but i want to ask directly obviously this probably wouldn't be in the gift to the welsh government but are we talking about the creation of an online sales tax as essentially that sort of tries to level the playing field between online and um, sort of bricks and mortar retailers i think there has to be some kind of fish, fiscal
2: measure like that eventually
1: yes levelling the playing field and consideration of the as i said earlier the the contribution that those bricks and mortar businesses make to uh, society wellbeing and all the things we've mentioned otherwise are we just encouraging them to then trade online from a warehouse nearby that's the danger then if that you know if that is a measure that is considered and implemented
2: I think I know we kind of there's a number of angles we can go with this, but I think there are some improvements we can make to the current business rate system that would start to make an immediate difference or visible difference on our high street. One really interesting one, which we, some people know about, some don't, is that if you're a listed building and you're empty, you don't pay business rates. It's an, you know, you get a, a you know you don't have an, have to pay an empty rates if you're a listed building. Most of our towns are historic, most of our towns have listed buildings, and what we find is we have these long-term vacant properties that landlords can afford to sit on because they're not getting a rates bill to pay, and there's no incentive for them to see reoccupation. So I kind of think we need to look at that, because the purpose of it was to kind of, to, to allow the property owners to invest in its listed building to maintain the heritage quality of the, but we know that never happens. So we kind of need to look at that. And I'm in here in Abergavenny and there's been, a, you know, in a town that's, let's be honest with you, really thriving, but there's been a building near to where my office is that's been empty for about five or six years. Everyone's going, why in a town where people are crying out for property, why isn't that um, being brought forward? It's a listed building. The owners can sit on it. There's no penalty for that. And, And I kind of think we do need to look at that. So it's just one example where we can make small changes that could make a difference to our high streets. And I think, you know, even if the long-term solution to business rates is yet to be defined,
0: let's start making whatever improvements we can to it now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We've been having the discussion about sort of late, uh, vacant land taxes in Wales for a long time. I think it's sort of, uh, mm-hmm. you don't want empty plots of land, but at the same time, you don't want perfectly good buildings not being used because it's not costing anyone anything to have them just sitting there. I'm going to shut up now and hand over back to, uh, to Kerry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, no, I, I love I love what we're saying. Because I, I've done a few Twitter threads recently. Uh, there's, there's places on Swansea High Street which have just been derelict for as long as I can remember. And I was in Aberystwyth recently, and there's a few on the front, and it just spoils the whole vista of an awful lot of places. And it is something which really needs to be addressed. It's such a quick win for me. Owen, oh, I think you mentioned COVID. I think COVID has had a, a big impact on everything we've talked around tonight um, about how e-commerce has developed, but also how people live and work and the impact that's had on traditional town centres. You know, you you run a co-working site, and I think Graggle's a great idea, very much in the model of IndieCube that I was very much part of, and what we tried to do was to bring people into town centres in places like Porth and uh, Newtown, Swansea, Cardiff, a lot of places around Wales. We're in a massive cultural change post-Covid. Do you see that as a, a boom to our kind of regional towns where people now can perhaps work more locally, even if it's at home or remote working?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've kind of got the day-to-day experience of this. I, You know, I set up a... my It was my side project, which I set up the year before Covid, and we just celebrated our first 12 months and we had our first lockdown. So i kind of got experience of before and now after. Look, having a conversation with somebody in the office today who's who's kind of moved to the area from Bristol, moved to a lovely area of Wales because he wants to be in this environment. But he's working globally and he comes into our office twice a week. And today he bought some carpets from the carpet shop in town because he could go there at lunchtime and order them, whereas he might have gone somewhere else. And it's all of those kind of little anecdotes that come up every day in our office where somebody like we've got a lady comes in every Wednesday and she comes in, she says, This is my chore day. I go go to the post office, I go to I go and top up here and I go, my car goes into the garage and stuff. And now they the routine of being able to work in town in an environment which is kind of pleasant, it's convenient, and they can kind of do those kind of the things that they'd have to cram in on a Saturday morning is really appealing, and most of our users are kind of working blended. You know, they kind of work a couple of days from home. They may have to travel to somewhere for work with an office, and then they want to come into the town centre one or two days a week. So that, that's been a real, real eye opener to me. I kind of knew it; I knew it existed, but I, I see it um, on a daily basis. So if you're the town where people want to live and they have the chance to work, in you know globally. Then co-working spaces have a have a place for them in in that town, you know, and the other angle that I've actually hadn't even imagined existed, but what well, I would call it in in general terms business tourism. But basically, these are people who go on holiday, but in our kind of Zoom world, know that they have to do a meeting on a Wednesday morning, and they send the kids off to the to the farm to go and have the farm experience with the, with, with somebody in the family and, and 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 somebody will have to do a Zoom call. And they're staying in some lovely remote places and they turn up here and they go, oh, the broadband's rubbish. So I get those phone calls in Easter, Christmas, summer holidays where people are saying, can I come in and use your office? I mean, I'm staying in the area. Can I work from your office for the day? And that happens all the time. And that's really interesting because these are people, again, who are coming in, using the town centre, and they're only here for a day or so, but, you know, again, it's kind of a regeneration dividend for a town centre because that facility is available. So, so many angles to this, which Kerry, I know you know really well. So.
3: Yeah, no, it was very much our experience at IndiQ pre the pandemic. And, uh, you know, COVID has just ramped up what we saw happening by such a degree. But Victoria, you know, you mentioned e-commerce and it sounds like you're bringing a lot of businesses into that kind of fold, but, covid really did accelerate the the progress of the big online retailers as well were there any other cultural changes you saw from the pandemic both good and bad which will impact the town centers
1: absolutely i mean public sector dragged kicking and screaming into zoom calls and teams calls was a huge <laughs> benefit really we say here in wheels that we're within arm's reach of of people um and you know of our connections but actually it brought us closer So we were able to speak to our public sector partners remotely without any hitch. Everyone's using Teams. So those relationships have been able to develop at pace, um, not just for us, but but for anyone working, you know, private public sector partnerships or across public sector. So I think we've made a massive step forward with that. Owen alluded to it earlier that it's also educated a lot of small businesses in remote trading, whatever that might look like for them those that uh, realize that you know when there is a change that they need to adapt and grow change and and maybe change their business offering if you like um so there's one story of a a sunday sunday lunch delivery person who during the pandemic then decided that he wasn't going to trade um and actually the, the growth of you know those people serving meals at you know and delivering them to homes, local pub then picked up on that, run what he called a, a black kitchen, which allowed him then to continue to trade and over that period of time where he wasn't able to have people in the pub. He became the local provider of Sunday lunches, but then it became a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the week lunches then. Following the pandemic, those people that adapted and including that business. Actually, then retained those customers that they developed better relationships with the services provided for them at the time that they needed it, and they became loyal then during that time. So I think people have found new customers, new places to go. Um, the co-working bit is a really interesting part for me as well. My business, I'm, you know, I'm a RCT resident, and I was looking for co-working and business support back in 2017, and had to go to Kaffili for that to Elshouse. So, you know, that that was then set up by the, at the time, the Town Square team that are now doing other stuff then across the UK as well. But yeah, I had to travel for my co-working space, which wasn't essentially towns, as we're talking about here, and the benefit of having that co-working space with other people was hugely beneficial as a, as a business startup in itself. However, since the pandemic, running this project with Welsh Government and looking for operational space for me and my team to be able to sit. And because we've uh, you know, we got a, a virtual membership now within that co-working space, for us to actually have a place where we can meet is a challenge for us. So we're looking for local towns where, you know, local to me, local to team members, where we can meet in a local cafe, public house. Connectivity is a huge issue there. And yeah, we would be looking for places like Wagler we were, you know, we're able to then make sure that we've got our connectivity for meetings that are virtual so that we, you know, we didn't, don't dip off those calls that are really important to us. But that opportunity to stay somewhere for longer, buy more things as we're there throughout the day is a real opportunity for our small businesses as well, which I don't think, um, you know, they, I don't think they've had their eyes opened to what opportunity that could bring them and certainly don't know how to promote that to the business community that are now living and working closer to home.
3: Yeah, I think I think an awful lot of post-pandemic culture and the environment is still to develop, and it, it'll be going for the rest of this decade. One of the things I want to get out before we, we have to wrap, folks, is something which we hear a lot about, and those who, are, who aren't in the kind of field might not understand what they are, but we hear a lot about business improvement districts. Uh, do either of you work in those areas. Oh, I'm sure you do. Can you just give us a yeah. brief understanding of what they are and how they work?
2: Yeah, so my my, uh, my track record on that is I helped um I project managed the setup for the one for Cardiff City Centre, which is now called for Cardiff. Currently working on the feasibility of one in Wrexham. Um and have been involved in one that is established in Prestatyn uh, several years ago and have been involved in various feasibilities in wales on, on across um, england as well so so and and uh, i work with a company called mosaic partnership on on these projects as a kind of a, a supporting hand so a lot of knowledge i think the best way to kind of describe a business improvement district is is kind of and unless and you know these do not have to be just in town centers but it could be anywhere where businesses are kind of concentrated. So they more commonly town and city centers and industrial areas as well. But you basically, you kind of identify an area and you say to those businesses, "What improvements do you think need to be made in your area that you're willing to help pay for? So these are ideas and initiatives that are beyond what the public sector is meant to deliver. So they can't deliver public services, but it's like those additional value added things that you as businesses are willing to dip in your pocket to help deliver that sometimes the public sector trying to do, but, you know, the money kind of fluctuates. There's no long-term planning that goes behind it. And so you put those ideas into a plan, you cost them, and you say to businesses, well, actually, to deliver this plan, you all are going to have to contribute a certain amount of money every year. Now, the way that that amount is considered to be fairly distributed is based on business rates so if you're a large business your rateable value is larger if you're a small business your rateable value is smaller so that's kind of the proportionality of this and then you put it into a business plan and you ask all of those businesses to vote on it if more businesses vote yes than no and the number of businesses that vote yes are are a large proportion of the business rates then it goes ahead and it goes ahead for five years doesn't last forever and businesses get the chance at the end of the first five years to say do we want to do this again so that's it in a nutshell um there's about 200 maybe or more in the uk and what's really interesting I, i'm not sure if chalky has um, gone for its first five years victoria and it's now second term but i think something like over 90 percent of bids that have kind of completed their first five years get voted in again by businesses second time around because they actually do what they say they do on the tin, you know, and I think that's really, really important here. So, so while some will present them as potentially a tax on business, I think if you look at it as a business-led organisation that's delivering business priorities with business funding and being accountable for that, I think that's a different way of seeing it. And I do think that they they're now well established in the UK, and I think they are really worthwhile um, to look at in you know all of our town centres. So, what
1: well, we've taken from the relationships that we've developed with some bids is that public-private sector relationship. So they, you know, they form a limited company which has got um predominantly business owners. And I split out public-private sector because those well, private businesses are often more commercially savvy. They actually know what they want from their area. And as Owen said, they ask them up front, what would you like to provide for your area that obviously public sector are not tasked with actually doing? They often have the answers to that. And by them sitting as part of a board on the public uh, on the, the private limited company, whilst having representation from the local public sector, that relationships allows the private sector to develop that and and operate that business improvement district, whilst ensuring that those those strings can be pulled of public sector when support is needed, and I think that's really really critical a sense of ownership of a place and not sort of like capping hands going what is the council doing for me that's a huge challenge at the moment where people don't really understand where the boundaries of the public sector are and what is expected of the, the local council but giving them a sense of ownership and that contribution and in a lot of cases is about say 2% of what they would be paying as part of their business rates. Charities are sometimes exempt um, and in you know some of the towns we've worked with 33% of the bid levy that pot of money that is collated at the end of it 33% is by the big chains who often um you know some of them have got policies in just following suit and just whatever the small businesses want the independents want they'll just follow some of them have got an automatic yes um a lot of them really do understand their contribution to their local community and already have a policy in place to support these things as well so whilst it is a small tax on um, an increment on their tax to some of these independents. Some are exempt because of the size of their business. And it's usually the big anchor institutions that are contributing the majority of that. So we've seen some real positive noise when it's done properly. And, and you know, some of the the terms that Owen has mentioned, they they really are working well and that they are implemented in a way that is positive in those areas.
2: I was just going to add. So this is going back to where I like to see some thought and innovation from Welsh government. So just to clarify, bids ask for payment from the occupier of a business. So it's the it's the shop, it's the it's the service deliverer, it's the kind of the person who's earning a living. And um, but we we have seen in England property owner bids. So the difference is, is that you levy a cost on the owner of the building, not the occupier. And this is often done where you already have an existing bid in place. And that's a mechanism by drawing in those property owners. And so the the plan that might be delivered in in parallel with one that is about, you know, marketing, promotion, safe, clean and green town centres that most bids kind of focus on is maybe something that's got a much more stronger property drive. And that needs a bit of legislation in Wales for us to do that. But we're not looking at that at the moment, that I'm aware of. But that will address one of the issues that's raised in the policy statement about fragmented ownership, absentee landlords, because if you have a property owner's bid, you draw all of those in. So we know there's mechanisms in place. They've already been used in places in England. We could be thinking about doing that here in Wales. And I kind of would like to see at least some kind of conversations around that, because I think that's where we need to be thinking going forward,
0: you know. I just want to say thank you both. Uh, so much for coming on the the show this evening, but before you go, I do have one, you know, very easy, not at all <laughs> contentious question at all, but um, so much in the last few years has been made of the UK government's levelling up agenda. Do you think that Wales has seen any sort of material benefits from the money invested in Wales? Uh, and do you, how do you think that's going to work in the future for Wales in terms of replacement? Well, I suppose you can't really call the Levelling Up Fund replacement EU funding. It's very similar to sort of um, town growth funds in the UK. But, you know, this this money that is purporting to be replacement EU money, uh, what what do you see for the future of that? Uh, Owen, do you want to take that one? Oh, do you know, I reckon you could have a whole podcast on this subject. I think we've cause... tried to have a whole podcast on this subject, <laughs> we'll, but we'll, we'll take the no, little bit of a generation. You know, I kind of sum it up like this, you know,
2: yes, you do see material benefit whenever money is spent in Wales. You know, I like to think that we do spend it well. Um, but I think the criticisms that you can level at this is that it's we've gone from what look, it is not a direct replacement for European money, but we kind of see it as our kind of Brexit dividend, don't we? Um, you know, politicians argue that we're not getting as much money as we used to get, which is kind of for others to kind of argue and debate. However, I, th- I like to think that local authorities are now in an empowered position because in many cases, they're making the decisions, which is good. But I think what we've lost to some extent is that kind of that strategic clout that at least European programmes brought that you could kind of do bigger projects that kind of cross boundaries that kind of made an impact in terms of some of those project areas that kind of really are difficult and continue to be around productivity skills and the like. You know, that also came with kind of you know, friction and kind of uh, maybe kind of a sense that there was kind of a machine that was impenetrable in terms of how that was delivered. I think those are things that we could have solved. But so, you know, good that we got the money, but I'd like to think that we can kind of also spend it more strategically as well. And that will be the challenge, I think. And And I do take my hat off to Westminster. They saw an opportunity and they took it to be able to kind of influence and shape the generation in Wales where it's been the it's been the kind of the the kind of ring fence wall the Welsh government for many years but now they are you know if you're a local authority you're in a fairly nice position to get, you've got two paymasters and you know if you're in a, in a in a in a council in Wales you're probably quite enjoying the moment you've got at the present time so
1: um so yeah what what owen said about local authorities enjoying this moment around being able to have access to two parts of funding but equally there are businesses now that have got access to put um, submissions in applications for some of this funding to spend as they so wish. Um, The word that I'd probably use in this is sort of dilution. It is being diluted and I'd like to think that it's not just being used to paint the shop front because as my own personal business journey, we were fortunate enough to get innovation money from Welsh Government. And those parts are now dwindling because whereas previously they would have been coming from EU funding, we are witnessing and experiencing. We were part of the process when those parts were shrinking, when this money was then being um, channelled to other areas. And as my role on the Regional Business Council as well, we've got a huge focus on our growth sectors within our 10 local authorities. Um, and not being able to spend as much money on those is a huge challenge when we know that they're going to be hugely beneficial to so the economy, which then incidentally will in turn benefit the towns, make areas more prosperous, and, and then filter through in a different kind of way. So the dilution um, happening and, and, the like Owen said, the, you know, the local authorities moment to be able to spend this money and to channel that out and, and satisfy a lot of business owners that they are getting service and that the, these grant funds are available to them. I'd like, like to think and hope that they're not just being used for a, a lick of paint somewhere, that they're being used strategically. They are being filtered down to grassroots level rather than being used up here in innovation by some of the larger public sector organisations for our growth sectors as well. Um, So, yeah, sitting on the fence with our businesses have benefited, local authorities have benefited, but I'm definitely seeing a a challenge when it comes to some of our growth sectors, which in turn will impact the economy um, and innovation as well. So, um, yeah, what the balance is and how they do that, I don't know.
0: Thank you to both of you again for coming on the show. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. If you want to hear more from you, uh, where can I go and find you on Twitter, Owen? It's Owen Davis at Twitter. Wonderful. Victoria?
1: <laughs> at manabout, double N underscore about, man underscore about.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find Here I've on all the socials at Here I've Pod. Go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. And thank you very much for supporting us with your ears. But if you would like to do so with your wallet, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash hereithpod. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.